Welcome to this episode of Take 15. I'm Lauren Foster, Content Director at CFA Institute. Joining me today is Christopher Tan, Chief Executive of Provident Limited, a financial advisory firm based in Singapore. Chris, thank you for being here. Thank you. So in the financial planning and advisory world, there's mm. growing awareness among clients of the difference between advisors who charge commissions and just fee-only advisors. Mm -hmm. And I believe Provident is the only fee advisor in Singapore. Mm. Tell me about your conviction as a fiduciary to be a fee-only advisor. Now, I think to begin with, I'm not saying that uh, commission-based advice are bad. Neither am I saying that you know uh, all commission-based advisors are, are, are crooks. You know, but rather, you know, if you have an advisory model yes. that is based on commission, there will always be that potential uh, conflict of interest. So our conviction really comes from the fact that we believe that we are not just an advisor to the client, but mm -hmm. rather we are fiduciary. And what that means is that we have a duty of care to make yes. sure that we got the best interest of the client. And the best way to do that really, in our own belief, is that you do it in a fee-only way. You charge a fee, you don't take a commission, mm -hmm. so that the client can be assured that whatever recommendations that you give them, it is truly for their uh, benefit mm -hmm. and not for our own benefit. Okay, let's stay with that idea of the duty of care and one of the issues I'd like to talk about is the issue of trust. Yes. Um, certainly in the US, uh, many clients lost trust in their advisors during the financial crisis mm -hmm. um, and one of the efforts that we're spearheading at CFA Institute is a campaign to restore trust mm -hmm. uh, in the financial services industry. Um, what has been your experience with, mm -hmm. uh, with this issue and, and what do you do to make sure that your clients have trust in you and in your firm? Mm. I think it's the same in Singapore. I mean, post 2008, uh, a lot of trust has been lost, mm -hmm. you know. Um, our, our belief is that to build trust, mm -hmm. and that's the way we build our practice, uh, we want to give honest, independent, and competent advice. Right. How do we give honest advice? Um, we give honest advice by making sure that um, we, when we give advice, we don't take commissions. Right. Um, we give honest advice by making sure that the fee that we charge to the client, uh, it is transparent. They know exactly how mm -hmm. we charge it, why we charge, and how much they're going to pay. Um, so that's uh, how we build our firm to give honest advice. Secondly, independent advice. Now, in order to give independent advice, uh, we do not take uh, any incentives at all from mm -hmm. the product providers. Okay. Uh, some product providers may offer uh, business trips or incentive trips, mm -hmm. but we, we have to stay away from them. Yes. Another way to give independent advice is to make sure that you have an uh, open architecture mm -hmm. in terms of your product offering. Uh, you must not uh, limit yourself to certain firms, certain right. providers only, but to as many providers uh, as, as, as possible. Um, Another way we ensure independent advice is that uh, in our team, only the specialists can give advice, or rather only the specialists can prescribe the products for the client. So there are really two teams that deliver the advice, mm -hmm. the advisory team that does the general financial planning work, but when mm -hmm. it comes to prescription, only the specialist team, the lawyers, the investment specialists, the insurance specialists. So in a way, you don't allow the people who may have a certain interest yes. 
to sell to sell certain products to the client. Uh, you prevent them from prescribing. You only right. allow the backend people whom they are measured based on the different KPIs. Right. They are measured based on how good an advice they give to give the advice. So that's how we ensure independence. Okay, it's a very good point actually. So we're here today at CF Institute's uh, annual conference in Singapore. Mm -hmm. um, and earlier on you presented on investing and withdrawal strategies during retirements. Mm -hmm. And you started out by talking about sort of five key risks yes. that retirees face. Mm -hmm. um, so for those obviously who weren't at the presentation, can you just walk us through what are those five key risks? And then following on from that, um, what do advisors look for mm. in terms of a, of a retirement plan? I, I think the five key risks, firstly, would be inflation risk. Okay. Okay. Second would be investment risk, uh, and that I'm referring to the volatility of the markets. Okay. Thirdly, longevity risk, um, the risk of living too long. Okay. And fourthly, withdrawal risk, the risk of overspending, especially okay. at the early stages of retirement. And the fifth risk would be healthcare risk, yeah, the, the, the risk of having to pay a lot for, for medical expenses okay. and all that. I think retirees today, um, they want a plan whereby they can cope with all these five risks. They also want a plan that looks into not just return on investments, especially post-2008. I think they are looking for reliability of, right. uh, reliability of income. Mm -hmm. yeah? um, they also want a plan whereby uh, they don't have to give up total control, some flexibility. And lastly, they want a plan that can at least provide them with certain level of safety. Okay. Yes. So we're in Singapore, you mentioned inflation and longevity risk. Yes. What is the inflation currently in Singapore? And in terms of longevity, what's the sort of average life expectancy in Singapore? Right. Now, the, the inflation in Singapore currently, headline is probably about 45 to 5% average, okay. with core inflation of about 3% per year. Uh, in terms of longevity, currently the males are living an average of um, about 79 years old, with the females living up to about 83. Okay. But uh, the government believes that come 2030, Singaporeans will be the fastest aging uh, society, or Singaporeans will be the fastest aging people in the world. Our oh. average life expectancy is expected to be 85. By 2030? By 2030. And just in terms of, you said one of the things that they're looking for in, in terms of a plan is reliability of income. Yes. Um, so maybe this is a way we can segue into, I guess, the bucket concept. So I'm That's wondering, right. how does one ensure reliability of, in, uh, of income? Mm -hmm. um, and also, um, explain to us how your bucket concept works mm -hmm. um, in terms of this model that you outlined today, the retire well model. Right. Tell us how it works. Yes. Well, for the retire well model, uh, it doesn't just take care of the financial aspect of retirement. It also okay. takes care of the healthcare aspects as well as the estate aspect, meaning to say upon the death of the retiree, right. uh, the distribution of assets. Okay. But the thing that I talk about uh, in my presentation today mainly focuses on the financial aspect. Uh, essentially, what we do is uh, we allocate clients' total assets, say a million or $1.5 million, okay. into six to seven different buckets. Okay. Yeah, with the earlier buckets being the lower risk buckets and the bulk of clients' monies are there. And with the later buckets, the fifth, the sixth and the seventh bucket, holding on to mainly uh, the minority of clients' assets. Okay. Yeah. The buckets that holds clients' money, the minority of, the cl of clients' money, are usually higher returns by higher risk investments. The earlier buckets, the bucket number one, two, three, fourth bucket, uh, invest into uh, instruments that are lower returns but mm -hmm. uh, a lot safer. 
Uh, one interesting thing about the RetireWell buckets is that we have uh, one bucket, which is called the income bucket, mm -hmm. that mainly we use the monies to buy annuities, okay. as well as to make use of the government pension scheme. Yeah? And what that means is that regardless of how market perform, client is going to get a minimum income floor. Yeah? So they will get at least that amount regardless of how markets mm -hmm. perform, with the rest of the buckets providing the rest of the income needs okay. uh, of the client. So that's how we do it to give reliability of income. Okay. So can you just give us some sense? So bucket one is one to five years. That's very safe. Yes. And then at the further end of the spectrum, and I'm going to look here, it says bucket six is the live on the 26 plus years of growth. Explain, just explain that to me. So the first bucket is the income bucket. Right. That basically invests into annuities that will pay for, say, 25 years. Okay. Okay, income bucket. The next bucket is called bucket one. Okay. Okay, bucket one basically pays for the next five years of retirement. I understand. Okay, okay so your bucket one plus your income bucket combined right. will give you the income you need. Right. Okay. Now, when bucket one runs out, you have bucket two that has already run for five years. Okay. You transfer, transfer bucket two into bucket one. Okay. When bucket one runs out again, you now transfer bucket three to bucket one right. and so forth. So every bucket holds the client's money for five years. So it's a replenishing bucket. It's a replenishing bucket, <laughs> okay. that's right, yes. All right. Yes. Um, so then just in conclusion, um, it appears that there's, I guess, no shortage of potential clients uh, in Singapore. Yes. Um, I recently read that Singapore had the highest percentage of millionaire households in the world. Uh, that was at the end of 2011, yes. and that was according to research from Boston Consulting Group. So I, I gather that, that is both, uh, it represents both opportunities in terms of potential clients and mm -hmm. also growth, but also sort of perhaps challenges in terms of hiring advisors to meet the sort of growing, sort mm -hmm. of growing potential. Mm -hmm. um, can you just comment briefly on uh, how you see the future of wealth management in Singapore taking shape? I think it's very clear in Singapore that there are three categories of people that are suited for wealth management. Uh, firstly, will be the high net worth and ultra rich. Mm. Currently, they are served by the private banks, they are served by family offices and some boutique advisors. Right. The second one would be what we call affluent clients. Mm -hmm. They are usually younger, 40 plus, family people, earn very good income, like household income of about half a million dollars. Okay. And then you have the semi-affluent, the young and upcoming, they are usually in the late 20s. Um, good income, uh, served by the banks, uh, served by the independent financial advisors. Uh, now, I think the trend going forward is that, as you have mentioned, there'll be more and more high net worth and ultra rich coming to Singapore, right. uh, mainly from the West. Hmm. Um, and we are already seeing it, people migrating here. You have a founder of Facebook, you have Jim Collins, um, hmm. uh, Jim Rogers, sorry, uh, coming to Singapore to stay. You know? So I think that's the first trend. Right. Yeah? The second trend is the Generation Y, the hmm. up and coming, the young affluent people. Yes. Uh, they will be the next group that will become affluent. Um, I think for the ultra rich, I think the private banks must begin to engage these people. But because of post 2008, the loss of trust, uh, a lot of these rich and wealthy clients are looking for trusted advisors who yes. are independent to advise them. They become like the gatekeeper. Yes. Yeah. So I think there is a need for these gatekeepers, the boutique advisors, to work very closely with the banks. The banks are good platforms. They have. A lot of products, you can basically park your money in different jurisdictions, mm -hmm. which the boutique advisors can. So right. the boutique advisors need to work hand-in-hand hand with the banks, and the banks must open up their platforms to the boutique advisors right. to serve this client. 
for the generation Y, there is a need to consider how to work with them because Gen Ys, they don't like to take advice. Huh. Yeah? What they like to do is they like to do it together with you. Huh. So how do you create a practice basically whereby you coach them yeah. at the same time you let them think that they are actually part of the whole advisory process. Right. They are making decisions themselves. Yes. So I think that's the trend going forward and I think uh, the future of well management in Singapore is going to move that way and as advisors we have to cope with these changes. Great insights, Christopher. Thank you so much for joining us today You're and um, thank you for watching. Copyright 2013 CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.